0: The following podcast was produced by PHC Corporation of North America.
1: Welcome to the Panasonic Healthcare Information Network, a service of Panasonic Healthcare Corporation of North America.
0: Hi again, it's Bill White with the Panasonic Healthcare Information Network. Today, we're on the uh, line with Dr. William Miller, who's the professor of uh, chemical and biological engineering at Northwestern University up in Evanston, Illinois. And he's joined today with one of his graduate assistants, Jia Wu. Dr. Miller, Jia, welcome to the Panasonic Healthcare Information Network. Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, it's good to be here today.
0: Good, well, let's start with the description. Of what kind of research you're doing at Northwestern with uh, respect to stem cells and ultimately uh, the difficult business of generating platelets and 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 why platelets? Can we go there? What are the benefits of generating large volumes of platelets? Why are they so elusive? And what are the difficulties you're working to overcome in the laboratory?
1: All right. Well, I guess uh, the, one of the big problems is that platelets, unlike red blood cells have a very short half-life. I would guess that most of your listeners have donated blood at one time or another, and that blood that's donated gets separated into a red cell concentrate, which can be stored for several months.
2: Right, because it can be refrigerated, but platelets, they're actually sensitive to the cold, and they can actually be pre-activated when exposed to the cold. So you have to keep them at room temperature And actually, that allows
1: them to be contaminated by bacteria. So uh, any skin microbes, when someone is collecting the platelets, those are stored at room temperature. And actually, uh, platelets also have substantial metabolic activity when they're being stored. And they have to be on a shaker during the whole time that they're stored so that they can get sufficient oxygen transfer.
2: So as a result, um, platelets can have an expiration date of five days. Typically, that also includes the transport uh, and the labeling and the testing of the platelets too. So really, they're at the hospitals for three to five days. So as a result, platelet transfusions they're pretty hard logistically for hospitals to maintain.
1: And one of the things we do some of our research with expired platelets, and uh, basically. At that five-day point, when it hits midnight, we actually can then do some experiments with those platelets. They're actually probably still okay to use, but because of the worry of contamination, they're not used, and uh, hospitals then have to waste a lot of money in paying for those because many of the platelets that are obtained from donors these days are not obtained from your normal blood donation, where you might be able to collect a unit of platelets by combining what's known as the Buffy coat, or the white cell fraction, anywhere from four to eight different donations, so a mixture of different blood donors. And to get around that, most blood donation companies now work with apheresis platelets, where a donor is hooked up to a blood machine for about two and a half hours while their blood circulates through and the platelets are recorded. So, as you might guess, there can often be a limitation in the numbers of donors available. If there's a run on platelets, there can be a problem there. So, there's a lot of interest in having an alternative supply of platelets from those derived from donors.
0: Okay, so we've got a product that's got a relatively short uh, half-life. It It's uh, something that we need. It's difficult to manage. It's prone to contamination issues, and that takes us to the whole business of stem cell research and what you're doing there. There appear to be many environmental and even physical factors that impact how stem cells behave in, in vitro and how you can steer them to evolve a certain way. Can you Describe these factors, articulate a little bit more on what you're doing with the stem cells.
1: Yeah, let me just step back a little bit. So, uh, sometime, geez, I guess about 35 years ago or more when I started my PhD research, uh, getting into uh, animal cell culture when animal cells were really just beginning to be used to generate monoclonal antibodies, the research that eventually led to the production of Many of the therapeutic antibodies that are currently on the market and some of the largest selling pharmaceutical products really became clear early on that animal cells are very sensitive to the culture environment that they're grown in. And those factors range from things like nutrient concentrations, oxygen level, pH, uh, ammonia buildup of metabolic byproducts, a whole host of different factors that influence the rate of growth, the rate of production of the monoclonal antibody, and also its glycosylation, which influences the effectiveness and the immune response for the different molecules. So all those things carry through, and when you get to the point of looking at stem cells or other primary cells, it also turns out that the differentiation, not only the growth rate, but the differentiation rate into different lineages Is also very highly sensitive to the culture environment and one of the areas that we've explored over some time is oxygen levels and if you look at the megakaryocyte lineage we showed that early on if you keep the oxygen level and pH at relatively low values like they might be away from the blood vessels in the bone marrow you can slow down the differentiation and uh, cause them to proliferate more extensively, but if you go to levels of oxygen or pH that are even higher than you might find in the blood, you can very rapidly accelerate the differentiation, and it's interesting because it seems to be physiologically relevant because a platelet is useless if it's not in the blood because it can't crawl around in your body, so if they're not generated when the oxygen and pH are around the level they would be in the blood, then they're useless my particular
2: project, I'm trying to differentiate uh, hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells from umbilical core blood into megateriocytes and then generate platelets from them. And actually, oxygen tension is one of my most impar- important variables I'm playing around with. And I've noticed that if I change the oxygen tension from 5% to 20% at a certain stage, I get four times less megakaryocytes, and as a result, get far less reduced We're still trying to play with the parameters, which is why incubator control would be really important for us. And we're still trying to uncover what might be the mechanisms behind that, uh, but it is extremely important for
0: us. Well, it sounds like we've got multiplicity of environmental factors, starting with temperature. We need temperature stability. We need CO2 control. We need O2 control. We need an active um, effort to mitigate contamination that could come in from a door opening or whatever. We're here today because Panasonic Healthcare is designed a cell culture incubator that controls all of that. So what can we learn from your work about how this incubator can be deployed for not only for stem cell work, but other cell culture work overall?
1: Um, I, mean, I think the oxygen effect is probably more important for things like stem cells or progenitor cells from different tissues. I don't see much sensitivity, for example, for CHO cells They tend to be pretty robust over quite a wide range of oxygen levels. They don't seem to change the factors that much until you get to quite high levels. But I would imagine we've certainly worked more with the blood system, but other papers in the literature show that things like uh, embryonic stem cells or induced pluripotent stem cells are also uh, sensitive to different oxygen levels as well as uh, perhaps mesenchymal stem cells. Sort of maybe circle back to one of the things that Gia mentioned about umbilical cord blood. One of the reasons we're looking at that is that if you're going to generate platelets, you know, if you're going to start with blood stem cells, they can also be used for transplants. Um, Why would you, you know, culture this? Uh, We view our work as a bridge between the eventual development of platelets from pluripotent stem cells or induced pluripotent stem cells but those cells still go through a blood stem cell stage as they then go to megakaryocytes and platelets. So we're looking at optimizing the conditions from that committed blood stem cell on. And uh, umbilical cord blood, if it's not stored for possible use in future transplants, is essentially a waste product. And so we're making use of something that would otherwise be disposed of to potentially generate to the product.
2: We're trying to mimic the conditions within the hematopoietic niche uh, in the bone marrow, and uh, you know typically tissue cultures are maintained at oxygen levels of 20%. But actually, the mean oxygen concentration for arterial blood is 12%, and tissue is 3%, and around the bone marrow, it's estimated to be 1-2%. to So there are fine changes in terms of oxygen gradients within our body. And we're trying to mimic the conditions of the hematopoietic niche. So for megakaryocytes, that's actually dynamic. So megakaryocytes are thought to differentiate from the bone marrow and then go into other places like the lungs or um, also circulate around the arterial blood. So mimicking that transition will be important for us to maximize the number of megakaryocytes we can get and also the number of platelets we can get from those megakaryocytes.
0: Okay. So, you're pretty confident in the environmental uh, conditions. Uh, that's one of the things we're trying to move toward is uh, improving reproducibility of uh, our research as well as everyone else's. Um, we'll be back in a moment.
1: You're listening to the Panasonic Healthcare Information Network.
0: We're back with Dr. William Miller, professor of chemical and biological engineering at Northwestern University and graduate assistant, Geo Wu. Can we talk for just one moment about the concept of shear and the type of cell culture apparatus that you are using in your work?
1: Yeah, well, actually, one of the things that's really important in uh, megakaryocytes is that shear forces actually enhance the Extension of proplatelets that are extensions off of the cell body and the release of what we call platelet like particles until you can test that they're actually working in an animal model, but you can call them platelets. And so we've developed a microfluidic bioreactor that actually we can microscopically observe what's happening to the cells and the release of the platelets in real time with a microscope that we put inside the incubator. And therefore, we can have the whole culture chamber in a controlled environment. In this case, we're using it 20% oxygen, so we use a standard incubator, but certainly one could also look at this at other oxygen levels. In that sense, that's our exploratory or uh, model system where we can directly control different shear levels. We use computational fluid dynamics modeling to understand the uh, shear in different regions of the bioreactor under different flow regimes. In other cases, we Gia can talk a little more about this. In order to harvest the platelets in a larger culture, we actually put them on a shaking.
2: Right, we use an orbital shaker um, to harvest platelets from a decarious site, and the shaker we place in an incubator because uh, the platelets actually have a certain half-life. And also the tend to release more platelets at a certain temperature. So we have to make sure all of the conditions are regulated, meaning um, we need the oxygen to be at a certain level, the temperature to be at a certain level. And, you know, we can also play around with other parameters like pH,
0: essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dr. Miller, where can we go to learn more about your work?
1: Uh, Well, we have a paper that just came out in biotechnology progress. It's a, um, actually, I guess it's still uh, on the web uh, prior to uh, getting volume and page numbers. So that's our our latest work that really talks about the shear bioreactor.
0: Gia, let's talk for a moment about your work as a Ph.D. graduate student in uh, Dr. Miller's program at Northwestern University. What are you doing? And what is the outcome you expect?
2: I'm in the interdisciplinary biological sciences program, and I'm a PhD student in Bill Miller's lab, and I am working on uh, differentiating hematopoietic stem cells isolated from umbilical core blood into megakaryocytes and then isolating platelets from those megakaryocytes. And interestingly, megakaryocytes, um, they move from a low oxygen environment to a high oxygen environment, uh, so we have to mimic that uh, using the oxygen tension available in our uh, available to our incubator systems. So what we're trying to do is create a more gradual shift from a low oxygen environment to a high oxygen environment because we've noticed that that actually helps expansion, probably due to the reduction of you know, ROS factors that might uh, negatively affect. A hematopoic stem cell expansion so currently what we're trying to do is create like a stepwise transition from a low oxygen environment to a high oxygen environment and we're measuring the outputs from
0: With respect to the products that you're using to do this work, I know Panasonic has an objective to make the product as simple and seamless as possible so that you focus on your work instead of the incubator. How does that work out for you?
2: Yeah, it's great. Actually, I really appreciate the electronic uh, timeline that the Panasonic incubator has. So I'm able to review the specific oxygen tension within the incubator at a certain time, and that's helpful for a lot of reasons. It makes sure that the oxygen levels didn't spike too much uh, when I open the door, I make sure that the oxygen levels didn't run out in the middle of the night, or, you know, of course, there's an alarm if it doesn't run out, and it allows me to do these more gradual transitions and record uh, in a quantitative manner the step-like transitions that I'm trying to induce with the incubator.
0: So you're getting the conditions you want and the information you need when you need it.
2: Yeah, that's correct.
0: How about your experience with contamination control in the Panasonic Cell Culture Incubator?
2: Well, I think the Panasonic Incubator seems to be better designed than the previous incubator that we had um, in that the each individual shelf has its own door, Um, Such that, you know, when we open the main door and somebody goes to grab cells from another shelf, the other shelves aren't necessarily contaminated.
0: We've been talking to Dr. William Miller, the Professor of Chemical and Biological Engineering at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, and with graduate assistant, Ph.D. candidate, Jia Wu, who has hands-on experience with uh, all of this research. Jia, Dr. Miller, thanks for being with us today.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Panasonic Healthcare Information Network, a service of Panasonic Healthcare Corporation of North America, serving life science, pharmaceutical, clinical, and biotechnology markets for over 50 years.
0: The preceding podcast was produced by PHC Corporation of North America.